Burning questions. You know, I hope that you guys are having fun with this series and that it is ministering to you. And, you know, before I jump into today's question, I wanted to start this morning with communion. You know, a time of that Christ died on the cross for us, that he was rose again for us, and that we are made new because of that. We're made righteous and holy because of that. We put on Christ and God looks at us and he sees Christ. He sees his righteousness, not ours. So if you don't have communion, just go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will get one to you. And then as, as that's kind of happening, I have a couple of verses to read to you this morning. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, light of remembering, 2 Corinthians, spice of God's body and blood for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, although God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be filed to God. And if you're not already and you don't understand what Christ did for you and what God did for you, then come to him. Be restored, be reconciled to God. God made him, being Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin or to be the offering for sin, be the offering for us. Why did he do that? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the right of God. Because of Christ's work on the cross, because of your belief in him, we get to become the righteousness of God. The old is gone and the new is here. That's what we're remembering in this time of communion. So I borrow the words of Christ on the night that he was betrayed. He took some bread, he blessed it, gave thanks to God for it, said, this is my body, which is given as a sacrifice for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, later that evening, he took the wine, blessed it, gave thanks to God for it, said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you so much for your body and your blood, for this sacrifice that made us knew this sacrifice that made us your holiness and your righteousness. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a church family and remember all that you've done and all your greatness and all of your blessings and all of your promises, God. Please speak through me this morning. Let them be your words, not my words. Let people be healed and come to this new knowledge of their relationship with you. And if there's anyone here that's not reconciled to you, God, let this just tug on their heart. The greatest ministry is that ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people to the saving knowledge of your grace. So if there's anyone here this morning, God, lead them. Tug on their hearts. Call them to yourself and let them respond, God. It's in your holy and most precious name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, this week's burning question or questions 
has a lot to do with the Catholic faith. And I want to just start with, I'm not picking on a, I'm not particular church. And in the same way that plenty of Baptist church do it wrong and preach an incorrect truth, there are plenty of Catholic churches that do it right and preach the truth. So I'm not, I'm not singling anything out. This is just a question that's brought up and I want to help kind of navigate it the best that we can together. So it's kind of these tied in thoughts of praying to the saints. Maybe you've heard about saints. Maybe you've prayed to saints before. And then following that up with these thoughts of, is purgatory real? Do people go to purgatory? Is it a real place? And then kind of finishing the message with, does the way that I'm buried matter? Can I be cremated? Can I be embalmed? Should I be buried naturally? What does the Bible say about that? And does God have a a preference at all? That's just kind of the image this morning. We're going to start with this first one, praying to the saints. Now the, the argument is that it's very similar to asking another human to pray for you. That's one of the the arguments of the church, maybe not the church at large, but some Catholic churches, is that it's similar to just asking any human next to me, hey, will you pray for me? But the language that they often use in the prayer, often use in the prayer, elevates, use in the prayer, human. They have some special strength, some special ability, and by praying to a specific saint, they can help you in a specific way. They can intercede for you. And I, I struggle with that word that they will intercede for you, because we're going to see in Scripture in a moment that that is what Christ is doing for you. And when I ask another human right here to pray for me, I'm not praying to them. I'm saying, hey, please pray for me. And I don't add anything else. So that's just kind of some context for us this morning. But let's start in our Bibles in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We saw this verse a couple weeks ago. It says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave the world at just the right time. Okay, so Jesus Christ is our one mediator. And they might say, okay, well, I'm praying to this saint so that they can take it to Jesus. I'm asking them to intercede on my behalf, and then they can take it to Jesus who mediates to God. And then we see this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Who's this there? All people who believe in Jesus and have come to this saving knowledge. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So should I desire so shire for a human to intercede with God for me? 
if Jesus is there living forever to intercede with God on my behalf? Who's, who's better to intercede with God for us? A human or Jesus Christ? He is the kind of high priest that we need. We need Jesus to intercede with us because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Another translation that I like even better, these little parentheses, says he has been exalted higher than the heavens. Not only is he at the highest place in heaven, but he's exalted higher than all the heavens. Then we slide over to this verse in Acts, Acts chapter 10, hopefully just humbling all of us. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Then there's kind of this story of how Peter gets called him, and then we pick back up down here in verse 24. Once Peter arrived in Caesarea the following day, Cornelius was waiting for him. And I love this. What did Cornelius do? He and his whole household, he and his whole were devout believers. So he called together his whole house and his relatives and his close friends because he's in anticipation of a servant of God coming to him. I hope we would behave this way. If you knew that someone could help bring knowledge and light and saving grace to your family, I hope that you would call all of them together, all your relatives and all your friends. So he calls them all together. And as Peter entered, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter, I imagine quickly, doesn't say it, but I can picture Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I am a human being just like you. Okay, Peter is one of the saints that is often prayed to. And here he is. I'm a human being just like you. Now in this context, Cornelius was worshiping him, not just praying to him or asking him for prayer, but I just really like that line. I'm a human being just like you. And we are all like Peter. We're all just human beings saved by grace. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. God made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Just as he did for everyone everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. May God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Now, I most often read in the New Living Translation. Week number one, we kind of talked about the authority of Scripture and Bible translations. If you weren't here, I really encourage you to back up and watch that message but in my Bible that I read the most often, God's people are not called saints. So often when I'm reading, I don't see that word saint. But as you go and research it, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible or the English Standard Version, that word saint comes up over 
80 times. So here it is in the New Living Translation. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. He made you his own holy people. Own holy Let's read it again in the ESV version. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord's Grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this really stood out to me in this thought of praying to the saints. Because here's Peter saying, I am human just like you. And then here's Paul saying, hey, when you've been sanctified, when you've been made holy by the work of Christ, you are called to be his saint. So you are saintly. There's no difference or hierarchy in believers. And the way that the Catholic Church determines a saint is through human authority. Humans come together and raise up and decide, okay, this person is now a saint is now a saint. But what do we see in Scripture? God, not a human, makes all of His believers saints. What is a saint? Someone who's been sanctified and made holy. How does that happen? Only It's not your righteousness. Think back to those verses that we took in communion. It's the verses that we took in communion. It's the righteousness of God that's over you. So I I struggle to see where some other individual in heaven is more capable of interceding or helping me in my weakness. Not sometimes the thought is that this particular individual is so gifted and skilled and blessed in this area that I want to for their help in this one particular area. When we look in Scripture at who helps us in our weakness, it's not other humans. So you see this in Romans, Romans chapter 8. Who should we ask for help in our weakness, if we see this area of weakness in our life that we want to take before God. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Us in our. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with us believers. Or if you're reading in the ESV, it will say the Spirit intercedes for the saints in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many believers, their brothers and sisters, them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them. And having called them, he gained with himself. I want you to hold on to that thought because it's going to tie into our discussion of purgatory. He called them and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them his right standing, he gave them glory. So the Spirit is there to help us 
in our weakness. God has already provided all of the tools in prayer that we need. And then some of us might reach this next struggle. Okay, well, like often I pray to Jesus. Am I, am I doing something wrong? Like, should I pray to God the Father? Are you telling me to now, like, just pray to God the Father or just pray to God? Oftentimes I pray to Jesus, and the Bible even tells me in Scripture to ask Jesus and ask in his name. Ask in his name. Here's Jesus telling us how to pray. Okay, so this is the Lord's Prayer. I for sure have it memorized in a different translation than this. But it just starts out this way. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, and in in my memory, it's who art in heaven, because I've got good old King James locked in. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's Jesus saying, pray like this. Our Father, right? Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So am I doing something wrong if I don't Father or Father God and I, and I pray to Jesus directly? No, because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, right? They are all one, and we see that here in John chapter 14. And I kind of wanted to go through this whole section, so it starts here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Don't let your hearts God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, I would not have told you so. I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that verse is directly tied into prayer, but it's an interesting thought of the fact that you're reconciled to God is solely through Jesus And the way to come to the Father is through Him. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. Philip said, look, Lord, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Right? He's asking to see the Father, and he's telling him, look, you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does His Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at the very least, believe because of the works you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even works, even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. 
Now, you might take that verse out of context and be like, awesome, I can ask Jesus for anything and he'll give me anything. You ever tried one of those prayers? I don't, I don't know, work out too good. You got to finish the line to bring glory to the Father. If it's not going to bring glory to the Father, then what is its purpose? God's not going to grant you things that don't bring praise to his name. He's not going to grant you things that distract from his glory. So yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. If it's according to the Father's will and brings him glory. Then it's sliding over to 1 John chapter 5. I have written this, or I've brought all these to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you, Son of God, may know you have eternal life. Remember that, because it's going to come up in this next section. Those who believe in the name of Son, uh, the Son of God, that you may know, you may have confidence that you have eternal life. Confident that Christ hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. Or in the ESV, or according to His will. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. If it pleases him in accordance to his will. Praying to Jesus, praying to God is not a magic genie. And and James tells us, man, even when we pray, you don't get what you want because you ask with the wrong motives. It's about you, not about bringing him glory or submitting to his will. So don't take this out of context and think, man, okay, maybe I've been praying wrong, but now if I just pray to Jesus, I'm going to get whatever I ask for. If it pleases him and is according to his will, think back to the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done. That's the example of how to pray. Lord, I want your will to be done. So before I kind of wrap up and go into this section of purgatory, I would argue that you should not pray to anyone except to God. And who I mean by God is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And you should use the Holy Spirit in your weakness. And you should let Christ intercede and mediate for you and take your requests to God. I I struggle finding reasoning to pray to saints who are in heaven, knowing who are in heaven, what we know is the truth of Scripture that all of us are saints. So God made you holy and righteous. He made all of us saints. We are all human. There's no special human in heaven that's elevated above another human, but there is someone special in heaven, Jesus who's holy and blameless, who has never sinned and lives forever and is there to end you. So you shouldn't desire any human to intercede for you when you have the perfect interceder or intercessor, I don't know how to do that one, for you. I think you should take it directly to Christ. You know, quickly this also ties into confession. You know, who should you confess your sins to directly? Confess your sins to to God. Now, the Bible does say we should confess our sins to each other and ask for forgiveness to each other. 
but then it's asking God to forgive me. And guys, I'm not, I'm not special, and I don't have all of the answers, and I might be wrong. So if you have something wrong up here, then show me the Scripture, and it will be corrected. Because the only desire of this church is to preach the truth of Scripture. And if I mess up, correct me and convince me via Scripture. Don't show me some human author's book. Man, it was driving me nuts in my research that they point to human author's books. And that's their defense. Your defense for any of your beliefs should be the Word of God. And if you're going to try to convince anyone anything, you say, this is what the Bible says. And, and I'm not above making a mistake. And I'm not special just because I'm the guy on stage talking to you. You should have your Bible open. You should be reading along on the screen. You should be investigating the truth and testing it against your Holy Spirit that God has given you and wrestling with it and coming to the proper conclusions. So sliding into this next question, is purgatory real? I'm going to go with no. That's, you know, I'm just, we'll just start there. No. No, purgatory is not real. Now, maybe we need to back up a second and say, like, well, okay, well, what is purgatory? So, purgatory is taught that this is an in-between place where humans who have been saved by grace, so not sinful humans, but humans who have been saved by grace, go to get rid of any uncleanliness. And they use one verse that says, For nothing unclean will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so purgatory is this place where people who have been saved by grace, not sinners, who have been saved by grace, can go to finish getting rid of whatever makes them unclean. Now, that doesn't make much sense to me. Because we are made clean by Christ. We're made holy. We are made His righteousness. So I don't need to do anything because He already got rid of that uncleanliness for me. There's no extra steps for me after I die for me to get rid of any uncleanliness because it's already gone if you have christ in your heart and you recognize him as your lord and savior you are made holy and clean christ has forgiven you he's taken away your sins he's separated them as far as the east is from the west now do you need to keep working to be more like christ Yes, a hundred percent. You should work hard every day to be more like Christ. But when God looks at you, he sees you covered by the grace and blood of his son. You are made holy and clean. Think back to this verse that I said to remember in Romans 8. And having called them, right? God knew you in advance. He chose you to become like His Son. And having chose you, He called you. And having called you, He gave you right standing with Himself. Now, if He gave me right standing with Him, then why in the world would I need to get rid of any uncleanliness? He already did it. I have been given right standing with Him. That's kind of my argument, but now we're going to look at Scripture of how there's only two locations when you die. 
So I think the premise of purgatory is off because it's saying I need to get rid of uncleanliness. But then I think the whole is off because there's only two places. You are either eternally with God or you are eternally without God. There's nothing else. So we're going to look at this parable found in Luke, Luke chapter 16. It starts off at verse 19. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was the poor man died and was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham's banquet. Some translations say to be at Abraham's bosom. Other translations say at Abraham's say at Abraham died. Okay, Abraham was made righteous by God because of his faith, because he's righteous, because of his faith, he is with God. I don't understand a lot of that. I don't get into locations and timelines. The main takeaway is there's two locations, with God and without God. He's also buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. And now he is here being comforted. And now he is here and you are there in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. Okay, there's... Only two locations, and it's for eternity. You can't change it even after death. So he's kind of dealing with this thought. The rich man says, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. Now imagine this, he's there in torment, he realizes his mistake, and he wants to save. Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Guys, it's just as true If you're in heaven, if you're in heaven enjoying the splendor of his majesty and you're there with God, you still don't get to go back to your family and say, guys, it's real. I'm here. Please believe me. That's the other side of this coin. He's there in torment, regretting it. You might be there in majesty regretting it. Man, I wish I would have told this family member. I wish I would have told this family, would have told this friend. Once you're there, it is too late. So stop making excuses. If you're here and you're hearing the truth, then give your life to God today. And if you're verses earlier, it is your ministry that God gave you, your ministry of reconciliation. So be reconciled to God. Man, if there is someone in your life 
Tell them today about the goodness of God. Don't wait. I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. You know, nothing you say is going to be as convincing as Scripture. Don't try to come up with your words. Use the words of God. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Think about how often in scriptures they ask Jesus for another miracle. Oh, just show me one more. Show me the Father. Work this sign and then I will believe. They saw his miracles. They still didn't believe. Father Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets to the truth of Scripture, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, so there's two places. There's a great chasm, and no one can change locations. Maybe you've heard this verse in Matthew 7. You can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate, the highway to hell, or the destruction is broad, and its gate is wide, for there are many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult. You know, being a Christian is not all rainbows and butterflies. They persecuted Christ. They hated Christ. We should not be surprised when our life as Christians is difficult because the road is difficult. And only a few find it. Okay, so there's a highway to hell or a path or road to destruction. And their road to destruction is a gateway to life. Again, only two locations. John 3.36, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Okay, I don't need to be made clean after I die because I believe in God and He gives me life. And anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life. Instead, they remain under God's angry judgment. So there's eternal life with God, or there's eternal separation in judgment and destruction. And Matthew 25, 46. Maybe I should have just started with this and then been done. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. When you pass away, when everyone passes away, there is only two locations. Eternal life with God. Now that the name of that place, the location of that place, the timing of that place, we can have some beautiful, amazing discussions about. And I don't know the answers, but I know that I'm eternally with God. Or I'm eternally separated from God in eternal punishment and judgment under God's anger and wrath in the place where there is gnawing and mashing of teeth. As a sensory person, that one gets me. I don't want, as a sensory person, I want to be in a place with gnawing and mashing of teeth. There's only two locations. So is 
purgatory real? Are you going to some different place after you die so that you can be prepared for heaven? No. God made you holy. You put on His righteousness by your faith. And because you're righteous, not because of your righteousness of Christ that you put on, you will go away into eternal life. And if you're here, or if you're watching online, or you're watching 35 years from now, or you're watching 100 years from now when I'm dead, the truth remains the same. If you don't know Jesus, you will go away into eternal punishment. So don't put any stock or faith in this opportunity to come to the Lord after you die. Because it will not be there. And don't turn to God just to avoid hell. Don't use God as an insurance policy. I really don't want to end up in eternal punishment. No, respond to His love. Onto his love. Wow, God, you love me. Someone who is unclean, someone who is a sinner, someone who is just a human. You love me and you took my place, place. You took away my sin. God, wow. Because you love me so much, I want to be with you in your love forever. Make that choice today. If you've got a family member that you need to call, call them today. Because after you're gone, it is too late. As I'm wrapping up this morning, I just have one more question that kind of comes up all in theme with these. Does the way that I'm buried matter? Okay, up until 150 years ago, you could not, 50 years ago, not be cremated in the Catholic Church. They have since changed that position, but they instruct you to keep the ashes together so that the body won't be separated. Okay? The thought is that when the time comes for your body to be restored, and to be made new, that it all needs to be together. I find that quite limiting on God's power. God made you from dirt, or from Adam's rib, you know, depending on who's in the room. Come on. He made you from dirt or from a rib. Do you really think you can do anything that God cannot restore. There's not a chance. So if your limb was cut off in wars overseas, man, you're getting a new limb. If you were beheaded, your head will be restored. There is nothing that can possibly happen to your earthly body that the king of the universe cannot restore. So no... Your burial choice doesn't matter. If you've got a preference, many times nowadays, if we're just talking honestly, it comes down to a financial necessity. But if you've got a preference or a financial need to be buried in a certain way, man, God of the whole universe will restore you and give you a new body. Why? Because you need one. And because it must happen. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So your body must be transformed. So the God of the universe is going to transform it. You can separate your ashes. You can separate your, 
You can scatter them to the wind. You can pour them in the ocean. You can be buried as a tree. God will restore you and transform you into an immortal body. You know, I was joking the other day, but if I could figure it out, I would love a Viking burial. You know, put me on a wooden ship, have some hero shoot a flaming arrow at me. It would just be really cool, even though I'm not there to see it. You know, that's the funny thing. Like, I don't even get to participate in it, and that's what I want. The God of the universe will restore your body. If you believe in Christ, you're wearing his righteousness, and you will go and be with him for eternity. If you're not with Christ, then you're not going to be with him, and you will be forever separated for all of eternity. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to invite the band up, and we'll close with worship. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to discuss and tackle these thoughts and these difficult questions, God. Thank you for the truth that you provide in Scripture. God, thank you for the fact that we are covered by your grace and righteous, covered by your graceness, and you are the God of everything, and all those who believe in you are made your saints, and they will be with you for all of eternity. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know your love and hasn't accepted you, hasn't been reconciled to God, then please pull on their heart this morning. Let them understand that they need you, that they need to be covered by your love and your grace and your righteousness. Let them pray to you. Let the Holy Spirit work. They don't need to talk or pray to anyone else. Just go directly to God and say, please forgive me, Lord. Come into my heart and save me. Help us today, help us this week. If there's anyone we need to go and take this ministry of reconciliation to God, don't know opportunity, don't let us wait until we're dead and it's too late. Encourage us this week to go and say, look, I need to tell you the good news. I need to tell you what Christ did for you. Help us to be bold and unashamed while we preach your good news. It's in your holy and most precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.